0: darling. Hi dad. This is the last episode in the present series.
1: This is the last episode in the present series. Gina you know, I feel like wiping away a manly tear.
0: It's been such fun. It's been really, really no, don't get over so we, we
1: covered some very very interesting ground.
0: I, I thought maybe this this being this the last one we should have a sort of as a general sort of area of discussion. Food health?
1: Absolutely good topic.
0: I think you're a bit more aware of than that. I mean, there is that sort of famous, famous uh, saying, isn't it? We are what we eat, or you are what you eat, and I am what I eat, and we all eat differently. So
1: clearly, that's actually very, very true. So we should know what we're putting in, shouldn't
0: we? I, I sort get concerned because it's almost impossible to open a newspaper or listen to a broadcast without you know, the latest um, superfood. Someone said to me, "Oh, that's a, something. What was this?" Bizarre coffee or something. Oh, it's a native super food. All <laughs> oh, food super if you look in the right way. That's absolute nonsense. Uh, well perhaps it isn't. Perhaps I shouldn't be saying these things.
1: And I think superfoods is a bit of a minefield.
0: And what about the latest killer food? <laughs> right? Has any has anyone told us about that? Oh my god, don't touch it. It'll it'll shorten your life by ten well, years. Well
1: po- processed food, I think, is is the tricky one.
0: Well, it's not that tricky, really, because there's nothing wrong with processed food in very small amounts. I mean, Mm -hmm. we all love a a, a minced up sausage or a burger or a cheap chip or whatever it happens to be. We all love those things.
1: Why shouldn't we
0: just deprive ourselves of a little bit of pleasure? But don't overdo it. Exactly.
1: I mean, this reminds me of an episode we recorded in series one, which was where I said it's all about that
0: blooming dreaded word balance ah yes well this actually it's a really interesting point because i remember going to see a doctor many many years ago and we were talking about you know what could we do and he said listen think of yourself as as a chemical cocktail of a unique composition and every time you eat or drink something you're adding more Chemicals to the already individual mix. So we all react to those differently. Mm. To have a universal, you know, um, diet that's going to cure us all of everything and make us live forever is just never going to happen.
1: Very true. And there's a bit of trial and error to figuring out what works for each of us. Definitely.
0: You've got anything else to add to that?
1: Well, I had a. I, I tell you what, I had a healthy supper last night, and. Yes. I picked up on some of your tips from our fish episode, and instead of buying fillets of sea bass, which I have to say is often what I do, is we got a whole sea bass from the fishmonger, and we cooked it whole in the oven, um, we stuffed it insides with lots of um, aromatics of course it was sort of asian themed because it's me uh, coriander garlic ginger a bit of lemongrass we put a little bit of um, ponzu sauce on the insides and then we wrapped it up in tinfoil and cooked it in the oven for 25 minutes or so and we actually just sat there in front of the telly with the fish on a plate each with a pair of chopsticks picking at it picking little bits of flesh off the bones and it was so succulent and delicious oh and lots of lemon and um, I, I now don't want to eat fish any other way other than whole fish. It was so satisfying and meaty, fresh and healthy. We just had it with a bit of stir-fried veg. Um, and so I'm, I am a total convert now to buying whole fish.
0: Well, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. I'm jolly glad I was sitting down when you started off. This, this phrase, I listen to what you say, Dad. Well, me. have stripe me pink. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm I'm you because I do think little. See, attention to little details like that does make an awful lot of difference. It may be more convenient to buy fillets, and I, occasionally I do do it myself because for certain certain sorts of dishes, like fillets of John Dory, for example, cook very very easily once you've taken them off the bone. Um, but um, but no, anyway, I, I, it was a general principle. I think everything is better on the bone. And it was Foodie it meat. was a
1: very healthy, satisfying dish, which is why I sort of mention it. I mean, I think, look, let's stay on health for a second. I think let's maybe talk about what health and food mean to us. So for me, health and food means eating so that I feel energised. That's a big one for me. So I notice when I eat the wrong foods, the main thing that happens to me, other than the obvious, you know, you put on weight or whatever. But for me, it's lethargy lethargy and tiredness and losing energy so actually for me in terms of my daily life especially during the working week it's better for me not to eat breakfast first thing in the morning because then I immediately get sleepy at my computer so I'd rather eat a little bit later when I get hungry and I've already got some stuff out the way so for me food um has a massive impact on my energy levels so I my my sort of health relationship food is to try and eat so that I maintain a balanced energy level throughout the day, rather than having massive peaks and troughs. Um, And so that tends to be eating sort of small, regular food once I've started eating from 11 o'clock in the morning, not sitting down and having huge meals during the day, and making sure that they're varied and full of color lots of different fruits and and vegetables i find fruit really difficult i find fruit a real chore, so i have to juice it but veg i find quite easy as you know i juice like mad but i also just enjoy eating veg so that so my relationship with food and health other than other very obvious things like weight and you know core health and all of that kind of stuff is about energy what about you dad okay Well,
0: I'd say, first of all, I think if there's one single thing that would improve the health in the West above all other things, it is to eat half the amount we do. Yeah, I mean, because the the signs of you know, the, the, the the evidence about obesity, particularly among children, being overweight and so on and so forth, the very fact that we throw away a third of all the food we buy—I mean, it just suggests a gross over over consumption mm. and certainly over over buying. So I, I think that I would love to be able to—I think eat eat less, eat better—that should be the mantra.
1: But you know and what I, I find I is no tricky. With... Oh, sorry, I interrupted. You carry on.
0: Well, I was just going to say, I, was, uh, I find, it, I find the, the eating the better bit, no problem at all, is the eating less bit that I wrestle with on a daily basis.
1: But, you know, I think I have noticed you and your cooking over the years, as you've got older, you are really good on portion sizes. You know, when you do a, a supper or a lunch now at your house, you cook... Just enough for everyone to have the right amount of food. No one, you know, not so that people feel stuffed and they overeat, but so they have just enough to really appreciate it. But it's, you don't serve unhealthy portion sizes. And I think where it can become tricky, and I don't think we're nowhere near quite the America scale, but if you go to a restaurant, we are without a doubt, most of the time served portions larger than we need. And so, if you sort of eat out regularly, or you base your portion sizes on what you might be given whilst you're out about eating, when you're at kind of when you're kind of entertaining and eating um, outside of your own home, and that becomes the kind of the you know the the litmus test of portions, then they're too big.
0: Well, I I, I have to say that I, I shall reverse the compliment to you, darling. If I manage to have that balance of, of portion control, it's entirely down to you lecturing me on regular intervals, saying think about the people who are going to eat it you're not cooking for them not for you and it is that thing of being aware of what other people's you know, um, habits are and what their are what I would find quite a normal helping they might find slightly over over, over no, slightly excessive so no uh, I think that's Think about well, and be aware. Listen to what your own body's telling you. Your body is telling yeah. you they eat small amounts. Throughout the day. My body tells me if I, if, if I leave the house without having had breakfast, I am in a major grump for the rest of the day and I know it's going to be a bad day. Anyway, so so that's what i was... The other thing is, that I think that the other piece of really serious advice is is to eat as many different things as possible. And I said small amounts of yeah. processed food are, are, are no problem, but also have lots of fresh food and different sorts of fresh food. You no, know, it's you've got to feed your microbiome. We told, talked about it at an earlier. And uh, quite um, and,
1: and quite a sort of simple way of doing that is to look at colour. You know, not don't have to kind of drive yourself necessarily mad looking at nutritional value. But we do know that if we have quite a colourful diet and we eat a variety of colours, especially when we're looking at vegetables, that is a healthy approach.
0: Yeah, it's true. But you also have to be slightly careful here because, you know, is that um, the temptation then is to only go for colour and rather than go for what's seasonal. And therefore, anything that is in season is likely to be a better quality than something that is you know, yeah. being driven Three and a half thousand miles from the far side of the of the Mediterranean, or wherever it happens to be, Absolutely. Like, South America.
1: And on that, what's your opinion of? Um, you know, bear in mind we're taking into account everybody's on different budgets. But what is your opinion on organic versus non-organic?
0: Well, what organic tells you is that this has had been sprayed, basically, been sprayed with less chemicals than the uh, than the, the, the non-organic stuff. It's, there, there is a sort of basic standard. It doesn't, sadly, as I know from having tasted too many um, organic foods of various kinds, various competitions, is it doesn't necessarily guarantee a good, better flavour. But it does, it sets, I would say, a baseline of respectability. So I would normally buy, if I'm buying, I'll buy organic if I can.
1: And what does organic get you if you buy organic milk? Pass. It's
0: an interesting one. I mean, what it means... I mean, organic milk means it's... Presumably it's fed on organic grass. Therefore, it will not have been fed on chemicals that are going to help it produce more milk, or whatever it happens to be. Means, the animal would have been had higher levels of welfare. It would have had... Uh, it would ingest fewer chemicals from whatever the farming practice yeah. is. So, I mean, like I guess to say, it's, it's a sort of basic reassurance. It's not a guarantee of quality. Yeah. You so made a very good point help? about
1: how far food travels... And it made me remember, what was the name of that? You did a, you took part in a brilliant TV series about how far food travels.
0: It was called Eating to Save the World. Oh yeah, that was very good. It was, it was, it was really quite
1: interesting
0: that. Yeah, it was very interesting. I didn't come out quite as the most virtuous person on the... uh, Not surprising. On that that particular (laughs) panel. (laughs) But uh, but it, it it was instructive, I think, you know, to what lies behind. Sometimes, actually, for example, it's in fact, it's, I believe, on occasions, it's better to import tomatoes than it is to grow them over here, because to grow them over here, you have to heat up your 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 glasshouses to a particular level. You have to maintain all of that. There are certain sort of issues to do with the sort of fungus, funguses that. that um, tomato plants are uh, you know, can, if they're grown too closely together or too intensively, they can produce. Um, and also, hydro, the use of hydroponics, which can, on actually, maybe, the way ahead in some respects. But anyway, it's the point about it is it's a, it actually is a very very complex set of uh, you know. issues and one which we could spend several hours discussing if you we want to do, do. so. We could do,
1: and I think one of the key points, as you said, is to try and try and get into a position where you can sort of listen to your body. It, on the whole, tends to know what you want and what you need, except that mine did tell me very loudly at 10 o'clock last night that I needed to have a, a pancake filled with Nutella, which I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's all right. I always remember once cooking for your Uncle Tom. Uh, and uh, it got to an enormous length, cooked a very, very fancy dinner, and uh, the next day he rang me up and he said, Matty, thank you so much for a marvellous dinner. He said, uh, "Any small thing. When I got home, I had to have a bowl of porridge.
1: Because you weren't given enough food.
0: Porridge, I said, what do you want porridge for? He said, no potatoes, old boy, no potatoes. I hadn't served any potatoes. So there Lucky you go. error. <laughs> well, actually, that leads on to a, another subject matter, which was, I think, what some of our uh, listeners have asked about, food disasters.
1: Food blunders, yes.
0: Food blunders. Have you ever had any?
1: Do you know, I have to say, I haven't...
0: Have you yet
1: ever had, had any absolute blinders that i know you've had which i think are going to be much more fun to listen to my sort of mistakes have been around quantities boring mistakes like you know spending two days making an amazing beautiful slow cooked greek y lamb dish that i'd laboured over and laboured over to make for peter's family only to chuck the orzo pasta in just before serving it and decide rather arbitrarily that I didn't have enough food. So I tripled the orzo quantities, which, of course, completely knocked out any flavour or potency <laughs> of the lamb. And they all had to sit there really politely and tell me how delicious it was, which I knew it was absolutely not. And um, it was it was really upsetting. So mine have been sort of I've messed up on the quantities. What was I thinking? But there we go. Well,
0: I think, I think what happens is you just lose focus yes. for a moment. You know, the phone rings. Yourself. Someone comes to you the door. You suddenly
1: second-guess yourself. It's so dangerous in the kitchen. We all do it. We might have done something several times before, or we've cooked for this number of people several times before. We know what to do. And then little, evil little voice comes in and says, no, do it this way. And we listen, which is nonsense. But it's all part of, it's all part of the fun.
0: Right, well, you you know my greatest ever disaster because it was recorded. For t- it involved
1: nearly killing all of your friends.
0: No, 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 no. That, 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 was, that was the merest bag of tell. No, no, no it was the, the episode of the hairy brawn. Oh, God. Oh,
1: yeah. No,
0: I'm not going to go into. I'm not, <laughs> That's
1: been well documented. I'm not going to go
0: that into details because, A, it's been well documented. B, if anybody really wants to see what happened, they can look it up on YouTube. Put it this way yeah. it was in the company of Rick Stein. And and it did not show me up at my at my best. Yeah, I do no. I do remember there was um, there was a time when I I decided I cooked a whole lot of of sea trout which we caught in Ireland and I was going to put on a great sea trout display and I was doing this incredibly those days an incredibly complicated recipe which involved filleting the fish from above or rather cutting it from above, snipping out the backbone, t- taking all the all the the guts out and then stuffing it with this herb stuffing and then baking it and i did all of this it took me days well no hours anyway anyway i came to serve it and i took them out of the oven and up they went onto the table and i got my own plate i went through to the table And as i sat down and um I thought there was sort of quiet settled around. I, I wonder, what was, earth? was is everything all right? Yes, yes, Mandy. So I put down, I picked up my knife and fork. I cut into my my fish. It was completely raw. Everybody's fish was completely <laughs> raw. For some reason, the oven had gone off while I was cooking, and I hadn't noticed. Oh no! You know our friend Stevie. I do. He said, "Do you know, Mandy? I thought something wasn't quite right when the fish winked at me from the plate." <laughs> Oh dear! Uh, but uh, the other one, I must tell you, I must tell you another one because this was this was turned round because Stevie was the, was the responsible for this potential Good catastrophe. God. It was when we were living in in Acton, and uh, and we had Derek, your uncle Derek. He was coming round for dinner, and various others, and we were going to have pigeon. We could have oysters followed by pigeon, which Stevie was going to bring. And he arrived. He and, uh, his wife Jane arrived. I said. Pigeons, pigeons, where are the pigeons, Stevie? Come on, I need them. He was a bit late. And his face absolutely fell. Oh, God. And he said, I've left them behind. Well, I said, well, go and get them. He said, they're in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was faced with utter catastrophe at <laughs> this point. So anyway, I think he saw me re- reaching for my knife <laughs> and that mad <laughs> homicidal look in my eyes. And he turned and sprinted out of the house and vanished. Anyway, about... An hour later, no, about forty minutes later, he reappeared with six pigeons, all the ones we needed for dinner. All you know, perfectly unfrosted. I said, What do you need to eat? And I put them in the microwave, defrosted <laughs> them. So then I, I cooked them, we cooked them, I cooked them all, and I was making this and I and I was making this sauce and it it just didn't work and it didn't work and it didn't work and I thought and I was on a point of sort of, you know, dashing out into the middle of the road myself and when I suddenly I thought oh, last desperate thing I popped in and here's a really nice tip if your sauce isn't working it's a it's a sauce for me put in a little square of chocolate dark chocolate and suddenly That's this sauce so which was a sauce of parts all came together it was a thing of exquisite beauty and we wow. all ate it up and we were, anyway, as we were as they were leaving Stevie said, I said to Stevie well you know you you really mucked it up there right? he said it isn't the fucking up that counts it's the making right and i thought <laughs> that's it it's the making right and he made right and i made right we all came out you know, happy as happy as larry partly because i think everybody's had so what much what does of- the
1: chocolate do
0: well, and what it does is it slightly thickens the sauce and it just seemed to pull, have the effect of pulling all the sort of little individual flavours mm. which weren't marrying up together. So you pull them together. Lovely. And you use very little of it, and it just ha- has that magical trick. But it's for meat. You, you can't use it with cho with, with fish, I don't think. No, I don't no, no, anyway, no, no, so I think those are a few disasters. <laughs> The point is that is that over the years, I think you know, a lot of cooking is we all learn to cook by trial and error, and there's an awful lot of error involved before we get to get it right. And and I could spend the rest of the day here telling you about disaster after disaster. This, you know. There's there's always a difference, isn't there, between your dreams, you know, the visions yeah. you have of these exquisite plates laid out, and the realities that, um, that 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 when, uh, that you're actually come up
1: Um, but also they make fabulous stories i mean it's always quite funny when there's a mess up isn't it
0: well actually is that people remember your disasters with far greater affection and far greater clarity than all the absolute triumphs you have very true and that was the thing about about, about the, the, the hairy broad episode. In the end, you have to be philosophical about it.
1: Absolutely. You have to be philosophical. Exactly. And listen, Dad, I think that got you more airtime on TV than anything you've ever done behind the camera. So you know what? <laughs> I, well, I know,
0: I know. Do you know, it still gets shown at least two or three times a year because some clever clogs always bring me up and say, Oh, Maggie, hairy broad episode. God, it was funny. Thank you very much. I
1: think you me. just need to be extremely grateful for the disaster, actually. Oh dear! Yeah. Right. Okay. So now, we thought maybe we'll we'd, we'd round this off, round the season off with a few other questions from our from our lovely listeners.
0: Look, uh, I think before we charge off here, I just wanted to mention something that an, a, a very a loyal listener, oh, yes. an old friend of mine called John Irving, who lives in Italy, uh, said about um, about the chickpea soup. Do you remember the chickpea soup recipe I gave? Well, anyway, it's it's. Um, It's his his take on that. The the sage of Bra, as I call him, I just says says, I think you'll find you first ate mashed potato with colatura di alici, which is fish sauce, at my place, which is absolutely true, and I want to give him credit for that. So that was a because I I I mentioned it. The other thing is he says a tip a tip for your recipe for zuppa di ceci, that is um, chickpea soup. Add a few leaves of chard or cavallonero and an anchovy or two and you have Livornese cacciucco di ceci. That's a fish soup with, with, with chickpeas. Lovely. So there you are. So chickpea soup, add a add a bit of cavallonero and an anchovy or two and you've got a completely different dish.
1: I thought it was a useful very tip. Very useful right, tip. I think a- anchovies are very underutilised. I mean, we spoke about them on our fish podcast, but um, anchovies, it's always good to have a, a tin of anchovies lying around. Right. What's next? We've covered this a bit before, so we won't labour the point. But why don't we round off with all time favourite cookbook or writer, or, so- or let's call it source of recipes?
0: Yeah, because you don't. So I'm, I'm old school and do books, and you're new school and do online. Yeah.
1: So, well, why don't you tell me a couple of your favourite books?
0: I'm going to give you four. OK. Because I've thought about this at great length. The greatest cookery book ever written, in my view, is Mastering the Art of French Cookery by Louise Berthold, Julia Child, and Simon Beck. Uh, I learned to cook from that book. All I did was cook for it from a year, and, uh, and at the end of it, I knew how to cook. The only thing that really irritates me about it, that had I written a novel about learning to cook from Julia Child... I could have been played by Meryl Streep on the big screen. But anyway, we'd pass that by. Because if you remember, there was a film called Julia. Yeah,
1: Julia and Julia.
0: Um, so there's that. There is the, uh, I'd say the Italian equivalent of that called Italian Regional Cooking by Ada Boney, which I think every time I think, oh, I'm looking for, well, what am I do with so-and-so? Or what, I'll need an Italian slant on this. It's always there. It's an absolutely brilliant compendium of, of very, very clear recipes one of the most inspirational books I've, I've ever had as I've ever looked at is called Great Chefs of France by Quentin Crewe, which was profiles of all these the great chefs of a golden era of, of French cheffery <laughs> uh, and you know, Paul Bocuse Michel Girard Bernard Loiseau no not Bernard Loiseau um, uh, Chapelle and so on and so forth it's an absolutely you know if you want to know what where great cooking came from and the last one so there's a, it's a little small interest in this, but Rhubarb and Black Pudding that I wrote with Paul Heathcote mm. back in the day, uh, about 30 years ago now, because it was the first book in this country, I think, that tried to bring together the place where the where someone, the chef, cooked and the, the food that he cooked, mm. the dishes that he cooked. Uh, he was an amazingly creative chef at that at that period. And uh, and this relationship between people and place having an effect on shaping the way in which people actually produce their food. And I think since then it's become quite standard. But in those days, it was a bit of a breakthrough. What about you?
1: Yeah, I think you're right. It's interesting, isn't it, when you come across cookery books that just take a, t- a slightly different slant on the traditional recipe, 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 starter, fish, main course, dessert. I mean, that's what... Um heston's book was so interesting when we you know when we interviewed him we spoke about it the way he you know he gave us his recipes um but he also gave us his kind of you know background noise and sort of other thoughts and what you could do and gave the the reader huge permission to kind of go off piste and just use it as inspiration rather than gospel um so I think when books do that it's it's fab I'm not gonna talk about books though because we've done, I have done that, but I'll just give a few websites that I use um you know, okay, good. the classics like BBC Good Food are fantastic when you want just to really understand the core of a recipe. No fuss, no muss. What are the right flavour combinations? But then I use a few other recipes that tend to add a few bits and bobs in. Maybe there's some more aromatic, slightly more detailed recipes that you can, again, adapt. But um they, there's, they're more off the beaten track. So one of them is called Cafedelights.com. Um, which my lobster bisque recipe is adapted from that one. Um, The other one is delish.com. Then there's delicious.com.au, which is an Australian website. And um, I find that Australian recipes often just have slightly more, like kind of just slightly more interesting, diverse ingredients that they can get hold of um, that we can too, or we can find an alternative for. But I always find there's something in those recipes that is quite exciting and new um and then recipetin com has got some uh just has got some quite fun things to make um in in different bits of kitchen apparatus that you might not always use so that's where i tend to go to for kind of you know random off the beaten track uh cooking
0: you No, know, i say i tend to avoid them because i think that you know you you you, you say oh i want a, a recipe for tuna and you tap in tuna and suddenly 5,000 recipes come up and you think, well, wh- wh- where do I start? What do I do? Oh, yeah. Oh, I know, I'll go back to my favourite book. That's that's really, I suppose. But that's because I don't have your questing
1: mind. Well, I do. I mean, if I've got time, I, I do enjoy it. And actually what I'll sometimes do is I'll, I'll have an ingredient and think, well, I'll go and have a look online. And I might let myself ramble through five or six different recipes and then actually end up making a combination of all of them. Cut the bits out I don't like the, the sound of or make it slightly easier or add this or that in. But um, I do, as someone who's got a passion for food, I do enjoy, that's kind of my, you know, my my guilty online pleasure, is going through lots and lots of recipe sites.
0: The great thing is actually to use a recipe as a starting point, not as a finishing point. Yeah. And trust your instinct and explore. And if it's a disaster, you can come on our podcast and tell us all about it.
1: Yeah, exactly. All right, Dad. well. Right. Look, this is the end of our series three. We are um, mm-hmm. we have decided to to do a series four, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. And what we thought we would do is um, is is it some somewhat of a food diary? Is that right?
0: Kitchen diary. Kitchen diary. Food diary, diary. yes. No, well, food, yes, I think probably food is probably right. I, mean, I like to call it Larry and Matthew's Kitchen Diaries. But somehow, actually, it's going to be, you no. Know, it might be food we have eaten in restaurants or I you know, things that we've, questions we've come up, something we've noticed in the news. But it's going to be just us.
1: Just us, yes.
0: Us, all us, nothing but us. Well, as far as we know at the moment, anyway, we can always change our minds. But I know, no, I'm really looking forward to that because I think that the, the more that, food relates to one's own experience or to anybody's experience, mm-hmm. the more relevant it comes yeah. to other people. It's, it's sharing, because we all have the same experiences, don't we? Uh, so uh, as a sort of gesture towards that, would you like to give me something that you've cooked recently? Yes,
1: you? I will. Myself and Peter have discovered a new thing that I think we've now cooked three or four times in the last month because it's such a winner for entertaining, which is Beef Cheeks or actually we have we did do ox cheeks one of the times but basically cheeks and they are it's so easy and just so unctuous it feels really decadent you cook them low and slow and we tend to do it the day before if not the day before that because as we know um stewy type dishes just get more and more um delicious and and intense so um you know the usual trio of heaven celery carrot and onion and some garlic various bits and bobs herbs whatever we've got in the garden or lying around in the fridge um and you you brown the beef cheeks or the ox cheeks first and it was very interesting when I was reading one of several recipes because I've used several recipes to kind of get my head around this somebody wrote that the key to this dish is to brown the cheeks aggressively (laughs) so uh, make sure they get (laughs) really really brown. (laughs) So, and actually, I now brown them a lot more than I did the first couple of times. It does make a difference. There's an intensity there. So brown them and then whack them in with a lot of red wine. I mean, just for two people, you, you put in over a bottle of red wine. Beef stock, a bit of tomato paste, any other bits and bobs you feel like chucking in there. I put mushrooms in sometimes because they're, they're just a nice texture. And you leave that in the oven to have a happy time for anything from two and a half to four and a half hours. And then um, you end up with this beautiful reduced sauce that you can either pop in a blender and make really smooth for something a bit more sort of restauranty, or you can keep it sort of a bit more rustic and keep the bits chopped up in there and we just serve it with with mashed potato and it it honestly has become a real staple for entertaining do it the night before there's hardly anything to do on the day and it is such a crowd pleaser
0: i think it would please me darling i look forward to eating that very very much indeed one of the things I like about it is that, in fact, the cooking part of it, rather the, the preparation part of it, is quite short and straightforward and easy. And although it may take several hours to cook, you can go off and get, take the dog for a walk or do anything else. You know, exactly. Of, if you had a dog, of course. So I, I really like that. I think I think you probably find that ox cheek and beef cheek are one and the same thing.
1: Yeah, they are. I mean, I think it also it depends where you buy it from and what you get. So we just happen to have access to slightly larger beef cheeks than where we've bought ox cheeks, where they were a bit smaller and actually they sort of disintegrated a bit more. But I think it's just what you buy. But, yeah, very interchangeable.
0: If you think about it, you don't see too many oxen wandering around the English countryside. Um, no. The other thing about it is... <laughs> oh, sorry. I... Um, the other the other <laughs> thing is, is, is it cheap? Is it not? Cheap? Quite cheap?
1: Yeah, like it's chips? relatively affordable. I mean, again, depends where you buy it from. If you go to your local smart snazzy butcher, it's going to cost you a bit more. But there are supermarket chains that sell cheeks packaged and they are very affordable. And and of course, the rest of it, it's a bit of veg and some potatoes. So the, the core of it is the, is the cheeks. Everything else is very cheap.
0: So I would say dancing cheek to cheek. I think it's a lovely... All idea. right,
1: what about you, Dad?
0: Okay. Okay, right. I okay. get two little things. One is what to do with leftover cheese. Beat it into mashed potato.
1: It's mm. actually it's a
0: sort of cheap and cheerful version on um, on uh, what's it called? Oh, raclette, I think it is uh, oh, French. good dish, idea. Really. No, ravi ravi got what um, Where you know you just and it just you know it's just. So you don't have to throw it away. You could use it up that sort of way. And it, and it really adds a sort of richness and a, sometimes a, an odd penetrating odour, depending on how old the cheese is. But my not that, about that I'm, appealing. like <laughs> I can say is, taste it, taste it, taste it. Judged by Everybody it. Everybody wants you, an
1: odd penetrating odour coming from their mashed potatoes.
0: Well, you know, you know that smell of cheese, that cheesy smell of of cheese. Oh, thank you very okay. much. I do, right. I do. But right. I love the
1: wording. That's great. Oh, dear. Okay. The
0: other the other thing I want to, is that the, the happy marriage between rhubarb, very much uh, in season at the moment, or becoming even more in season as the weeks come up, and elderflower in the syrup mm. form. I always poach. And I, in fact, the other day I made a tart of uh, rhubarb which I I actually roasted with a little bit of uh, elderflower juice but I made an elderflower sabayon which is you know fluffy thing you make a a tart dish it was egg yolk uh, mixed with the elderflower and then uh, sort of whipped up and then egg whites whipped up separately folded in together and you pour that into the base of your tart uh, which has already been pre-baked and then you arrange your your rhubarb in decorative little patterns on top, and you bang it in the oven, and, mm. and the sabayon rises up and sort of uh, f- light and fluffy, and has a, has a little tanning on effect, and it looks very very pretty.
1: Just a quick one, Dad. Is that basically like a clafouti but in pastry?
0: Well, no, because clafouti you're using flour. Uh, as well flour helps to helps to give it a sort of uh, help the fluff to stay up this the fluff will you lose a bit of the fluff but never never remains fluffy but also the point is it's sort of you you pick up the flavor of the elder flour through the through the sabayon and that's and it goes really 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 well with with
1: sounds like a nice sophisticated a nice sophisticated pudding Mm. and if you want a really unsophisticated pudding go to ikea buy frozen pancakes and a thing of nutella whack it in the microwave and have a really really good time. <laughs> Honestly, they're frozen. Come pancakes on, I could a revelation.
0: I could I see I could I see beef cheek followed by pancakes yeah. and then a long long sleep. Yeah. Anyway,
1: well. All right.
0: I think we should call that a yeah, day. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And um, well we, I look forward to chatting to you in the next series the yes. Listeners get in touch in the meantime with uh, with with anything you want us particularly to cover.
0: Yes. Yeah, or ideas of their yeah. own. Uh, or let's... blunders.
1: Love hearing about other people's blunders.
0: Yes, give us a blunder.
1: All right, Dad. Make
0: us feel we're not alone in this world. <laughs> okay, Jay. Well, have a have a glorious day.
1: Thank you.